0: Hey everybody, welcome to West Seattle Christian Church Online. If you are new, welcome. If not, welcome back. Uh, First off, this is the fourth Sunday of Lent, and I want to remind you that each Sunday in Lent is considered a feast day, a day to, to pray and to play, to take it easy and relax. It is part of the rhythms and practices for spiritual formation during the season of Lent, and if you haven't already I uh, encourage you to please check out our Lent information post on our blog for more resources during this time as we look forward to Resurrection Sunday on Easter. Speaking of Easter, we are all set to have a fantastic time of in-person worship and fellowship celebrating Jesus' resurrection on Sunday, April 17th uh, at 10 a.m. right here on our campus in beautiful West Seattle. Masks are optional, but still recommended, and again, our HEPA filters will be up and running for that. Again, if you are new with us uh, and you're trying to figure out what we're all about, we have opted to do some things uh, a bit differently than what you might expect as a church, Uh, and that means that right now we meet once a month for in-person worship. In the near future, we plan to meet twice a month for in-person worship, and that's our regular rhythm that we're shooting for. Uh, On the off weeks, we meet on Sunday mornings in our Kim Folk groups. One of those groups meets in our youth room right here in the lower level of our chapel each Sunday. Uh, You can go online and check it all out. Kim groups gather together for fellowship and prayer, communion, sharing life together. Most groups also watch and discuss the weekly online teaching like this. Uh, We do all of this on purpose so that we can gather collectively as a large group for worship, but also in smaller groups for deeper life connection. And like I said before fellowship and serving each other and our neighborhoods. Uh, next up our middle school student ministry is throwing a huge party on Saturday night uh, April 2nd at 6 p.m. Middle schoolers bring your friends and join us for foosball, air hockey, shuffleboard, Mario Kart tournament, nacho bar and much more. Uh, that's Saturday April 2nd in our youth room at 6 p.m. You can get all the details online. Of course, That is also followed by our next middle school student ministry gatherings on Wednesday, April 6th and Wednesday, April 20th. We hope to see you there. Moving along, we invite you to help us make the church campus beautiful on Palm Sunday, April 10th. Our kinfolk groups, like we mentioned before, are gonna be gathering right here on the church campus in the youth room from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. for a flower planting and pizza party. The pizza is on us. So bring, bring all of your stuff, bring your gloves, trowels that kind of thing please please bring aside to share and drinks there will also be extra jobs around the campus besides planting flowers so do your best to be there we would appreciate your help and last but not least the sunday after easter we are starting a new class taught by beth wheeler called the life of christ this class will be in the youth room each sunday morning starting on sunday april 24th and it's going to start at 9 a.m right before our Kimfolk groups meet okay Today, I want to share with you a visual way of bringing to life what the gospel, the good news, really looks like in a unique way uh, that just might change your perspective on how you think God views you, how you think God thinks of you, and how much God really truly and deeply loves you. Now, this isn't something I came up with on my own. The idea is attributed to Anthony Carbo at the Greek Orthodox Church in Colorado Springs, and it was originally called The Gospel in Chairs, but I like to call it Choose Your Seat. And what this is, is a presentation of the gospel in in two different versions. The first is what we would consider a more modern, western, judicial version of the gospel, which I think you and probably all Americans, most Americans, are all too familiar with. It's couched in legal terms. But then there's what I think is certainly the more ancient, but I also think the more biblical version. It's what the early church, the earliest Christians in the first few centuries after Christ's life would recognize as what the gospel and salvation truly meant. And I think a helpful title for that view would be the restorative view of salvation. So what I want to, want to show you today is the contrast between those views, the legal, more modern, Western view of salvation and the restorative view. So let's tackle the legal understanding first, which I might be so bold as to call a misunderstanding of the gospel at worst and not a full understanding of the gospel at least. And it goes like this. In the beginning, God created man to reflect his image and to give him glory and to have fellowship. But in the garden, man sinned. And because he has sinned, he then becomes sinful. And God, because he's so holy and righteous, he can't look upon sin. And so God turns away from mankind. But because God loves us, he sends his son to sit in our place. And Jesus uh, lives in our stead, taking our place. And he lives as we were intended to live. He lives in full relationship with God, never turning away from him, always doing his will. But at the end of his life, Jesus is put to death. And in that moment, the Father does the unthinkable. He takes our sin and puts it upon Jesus so that Jesus bears that sin. He becomes sinful. And God can't look upon sin in his holiness and righteousness. And he turns away from his Son. And Jesus receives and experiences the full wrath of God. Now for us as sinners, if we believe that God has done this and that Jesus has taken our sin upon himself and experiences the full weight of God's wrath in our place, then we're protected from the wrath of God. So instead of wrath, we receive the righteousness of Christ as our clothing. Martin Luther described it like this. He said, we are snow-covered dung. Some preachers from past decades have made the analogy that Jesus is kind of like our hazmat suit to protect us from like this white-hot nuclear-powered wrath of God. Now that's if we believe this. If we don't believe that Jesus has done that, then we remain in our sin and God's wrath remains upon us and we're forever separated from God. And ultimately, the sinner is condemned to hell. And that wraps it all up. That's the modern version of a more legal understanding of the gospel. Now, this is different than the understanding that the early church had about salvation in the gospel. They didn't understand it like that. What I like to call the restorative understanding of salvation is how they understood it. And it goes like this. In the beginning, God created man in his image to reflect his glory and have fellowship. But in the garden, man sinned and turned away from God. And as a result, man became subject to futility and death. And that's the great problem that the gospel of Jesus addresses. The problem is not first and foremost the problem of legal guilt or personal guilt, though that is included. But the first and foremost great problem Jesus and his gospel take on is humanity being subject to death. So in the restorative view of salvation, because God loves his creation and doesn't want us to be subject to futility and death, God takes on humanity. He becomes a human in order to heal humanity. He takes on our nature that he might heal our nature. So let's look at some examples of this from the scriptures. Here's a woman who, because of being subject to futility and death, has lived a life where she's gone from man to man, marriage to marriage, she's been married five times, and now she's living with a man who's not her husband, still never finding the love that she longs for. And what happens? God comes and sits down by her at a well, and he says, I am the water of life, and I will love you. Here is a man who, for the sake of greed and ambition, has become a tax collector. He is in collusion with the occupying Romans. He participates in a system of oppression and uh, taxation against his own people. And as a result, even though he has wealth and power, he is ostracized and alienated every day. He has no friends. Nobody will go to a restaurant with him or have a meal with him or go to his house. And what happens? God comes and sees this tax collector up in a tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'll eat with you. I want to go to your house. And he ends up saying salvation has come to this house here is a woman who's been caught in adultery and the religious establishment has condemned her and they want to kill her they want to stone her but when she is brought into the presence of god and thrown down at his feet god kneels down beside her and says let him who is without sin cast the first stone and then he says to the woman i don't condemn you go and sin no more Here's a man who's been captured by the powers of darkness so fully that he is inhabited by a legion of demons and he doesn't seem to be human anymore. He's driven out of his village and he lives in a cemetery and he no longer wears clothes and he's cutting himself. He is a madman and everybody is afraid to go anywhere near that graveyard. But here comes God and he's sailing across the sea of Galilee and he says, "I'll come to you and I will set you free." And he casts out the demons and the darkness so that the man is now clothed in his right mind, sitting with God. Here's a man who simply because of the random nature of humanity being subject to death has contracted some terrible disease that he has it's caused him to be a paralytic. And he is brought into the presence of God. And what does God say? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And when humanity driven by fear and pride, takes God and betrays him, spits on him, mocks him, scourges him, condemns him, and crucifies him. What does God say? I love you. I forgive you. And when humanity experiences the final dissolution and falls away into death, God says, love, my love, is greater than the grave. And though you make your bed in hell, I am here. And God in Christ joins humanity in death. In his wild pursuit of humanity, God is willing to go all the way down into death. But Then God also says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he conquers death. And he says, I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. Revelation 118. And he says, all that are in the grave shall hear the voice of the son of man, and they will come out of their tombs. So now there is no place where God is not. He fills all things with his love, for God is love. And there flows from God's heart of love a river of fire, and to those who respond to God's love with love, they return his love with love. For love of, for the love of God. And it provides that river of fire provides warmth and light to them. But to those who continue to respond with hatred, towards God's love. He doesn't turn away from them, but they experience God's love as wrath. It's kind of like this. The Apostle Paul said it in this way. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him a drink. In other words, continue to love him and treat him with love, just like Jesus does towards you. But the Apostle Paul also said, when you do that, it'll be like burning coals upon their head if they continue to hate you and be your enemy. All your enemy has to do is turn around and say, instead of hating, I will love. And then when you give food and drink to your former enemy, who is now your friend, it's no longer torment, but, it, but joy. So that is the restorative, more biblical, more ancient understanding of the nature of salvation. And I want to point out some crucial differences between it and the more modern legal view. First of all, in this more ancient version, you never see God going against Christ. And that's very important. There are certain foundational truths of Christian theology that apply here. And one is that God is immutable, which means he doesn't change. And another one is that God is perfectly revealed in Christ. The early church believed that. Christ didn't come to change the Father or to appease or placate the Father or to satisfy the Father. Christ came to reveal the Father. In other words, God is like Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, Paul again said it said it like this, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He didn't say that God was in Christ reconciling himself to the world. It's not the Father that needs to be reconciled to the world. It's the world that needs to be reconciled to the Father. And that's why Jesus, perfectly revealing the heart of the Father, he confronts the sin of humanity with simply this, I forgive you. The other main difference we see in the restorative more biblical more ancient understanding of the nature of salvation is this god never turns away from us he never turns away from humanity here's a question for you when do you ever see jesus in the scriptures turn away from a sinner and say i'm too holy to look upon you and your sin i'm too good for you don't touch me i'm so much better than you that you can't be in my presence did jesus ever do anything like that no in fact was the Pharisees that did that. The Pharisees were the ones who were like, I'm too holy to look upon you or be around you, and they would turn away from everyone they didn't deem worthy of themselves. So let me suggest to you once again, like we have done countless times before, God is like Jesus. He is not like a Pharisee. If you want to know what God thinks about you and how much he loves you, just look at Jesus. He's not turning away from us he will not turn away from you. Now, as we turn away from God, the gospel message of Jesus's life is that no matter where we turn, God is always there pursuing us getting in our face with his love. The gospel is not this. The gospel is this, that when we turn away from God, he comes around and turns towards us. When we turn away from him, he turns toward us. And when we run away from God, he pursues us with his love. Even when we murder God on the cross, he confronts us with forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So I present this to you today as a, as a more biblical, healthier understanding of the gospel that doesn't pit God against Christ, but understands this. God is like Jesus, God has never not been like Jesus. He will pursue you when you turn away. He will follow you where you go. He will not give up on you. He will go to the grave with you so you can have resurrection life. This is the way. This is the way of Jesus. That is the gospel. That is the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And hopefully that comes as a great relief and encouragement and fills you with hope and joy. And if this is a reality that you'd like to engage with, perhaps you'd like to know more about how to start this journey of faith with a God who loves you, like what I've just described, please do reach out to us via email at hello at westseattlechristian.church or by phone, 206-932-2098. You can find all our contact details online, westseattlechristian.church, or even below in the show notes. Until next time, I'm Worth Wheeler for West Seattle Christian Church. Stay rooted and deep in Jesus and produce good fruit, my friends.